Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 23. It can be found on page 458 of your pew Bible. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you asked someone at random to recite a Bible verse, you'd probably hear John 3.16. But if you had to limit it to just the Old Testament, the 23rd Psalm is likely what you would hear. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This particular Psalm has entered into popular culture in a way that none of the other 149 Psalms has. It's in TV shows, it's in movies, from everything from the music of Duke Ellington to the music of Tupac, this psalm is important to people, whether or not they even believe the Bible. Why do you think that is? I think part of it might be the fact that it's often used in funerals, and words spoken at those very important, heavy, impactful times tend to lodge themselves into our memories. Or maybe it's because they the, the words in this psalm seem to emphasize a personal love and devotion from God. Or maybe it's just because it seems so comforting and, and hopeful. Well, I think all of those are true, but I think also that they're all connected by something bigger. In this psalm, David portrays a confidence in the, in the face of something that each of us has to face. All of us have it in common. Anxiety. Anxiety about our security, particularly as it relates to death. The Christian has a very realistic and optimistic view of death. The first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is a Protestant teaching document from the 1500s, asks this question, what is your only comfort in life and death? The answer, that I am not my own but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that, without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation." Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Psalm 23, I think, is a beautiful poetic illustration of those ideas that we hear spoken about there. Our hope as Christians in life and in death is that we are not our own, but belong to God. When you know who you belong to, a good, merciful, devoted shepherd, 
you have a realistic hope in a future that is incredibly bright. Our big idea this morning is this. The Good Shepherd's devotion brings security and satisfaction. The Good Shepherd's devotion brings security and satisfaction. Before we dig into this, I'd like to take a moment and pray. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look into your word this morning, we we see words that are perhaps very familiar to us. And so we pray that you would help us to see them afresh. Help us to notice the details, perhaps, that we have overlooked before. Help us to find life in your word, in your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would feed us, nourish us, restore our souls, make us to lie down and pay attention this morning. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The Good Shepherd's devotion brings security and satisfaction. And as we walk through this 23rd Psalm together, I want to take note of just three things. The shepherd's guidance, the shepherd's protection, and the shepherd's hospitality. Guidance, protection, and hospitality. But first, the shepherd's guidance. We see it in verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of, righteous, paths of righteousness for his name's sake. These first three verses here just use a metaphor to illustrate the Lord's care for David. This is a psalm of David, and we've been spending a lot of time in the life of David throughout this last semester, this fall. So the first half of David's story might be pretty fresh in your mind. The first place that we heard about David was in Psalm, or 1 Samuel 16, where he is described as being a keeper of the sheep. David was a shepherd. So when he wrote this Psalm 23, he was intimately familiar with the relationship between sheep and shepherds. Sheep are livestock. They're not wild animals. They depend upon their shepherd's help and protection and care even for their very lives. They cannot protect themselves. They can't guide themselves. They can't feed themselves. They don't have any way to protect themselves against danger. They're shy and timid creatures. And they get lost easily. They won't survive left on their own. David knows all of this. His father, Jesse, had some sheep, and Jesse entrusted those sheep to David, and David cared very well for them. He would lead them to food and to drink. He would make sure that they got everything that they needed. They would lack for nothing. Now, I have to call attention to this because I misunderstood the first verse of Psalm 23 for quite a while. I'm kind of embarrassed to say it, but I didn't really understand what that line meant, I shall not want. I thought that David didn't want God as a shepherd. If you read it fast, it kind of seems like that. Maybe it's just me. Listen, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's not what it means. But for a long time, I misunderstood it. So, and there's kids in the service this morning, so I just want to, just so we're all on the same page. There's a semicolon in there, and there's an important pause when you're reading it. 
I shall not want means that I shall not be in want. I won't lack. I won't be deprived of anything that I need. So because the Lord is David's shepherd, he doesn't lack anything. He's not in want. David knew what kind of care shepherds gave for their sheep, and he used their relationship as a metaphor for his relationship with his Lord, his shepherd. So just as David would care for his father's sheep, the Lord would care for him. He was guided, he was provided for, fresh green grass to eat, peaceful waters from which to drink. He restores his life, his soul. This is how he viewed his relationship with his God. Sometimes when I think about this psalm, though, I put myself in the starring role. I will sort of focus on the personal pronouns that, we are, that are obvious here. I, me, and my shows up a lot in this psalm. But it seems that the focus of these three verses, and really the whole psalm here, is actually the Lord. This is a God-centered psalm, not a man-centered psalm. God, the Lord, is the one acting. And David is just being acted upon. Notice again, if you have your Bible there, the Lord makes, he leads, he restores. Again, he leads. And notice in verse three, why he does all of these things. For his name's sake. So how can we apply this psalm to ourselves in a responsible way? The right way to begin to apply any text is obviously to understand what the original author meant and how his first audience would have understood it, and we've done that. But before we jump to what it means for us, it's very important to understand what this meant for Jesus. I think we should apply this psalm to Jesus before we apply it to us. Jesus was Jewish, and so the Psalms were his personal songbook. Jesus knew Psalm 23 very well. Jesus prayed Psalm 23. Jesus sang Psalm 23. He had memorized the Psalms. If you recall, he quoted Psalm 22, just the one right before this, from the cross. He didn't just sing them and pray them and know them. He actually lived out Psalm 23. This psalm, I believe, applies to Jesus in two different ways. On the one hand, when Jesus, the Son of God, entered into creation at the incarnation, Jesus, just like David, experienced the shepherding care of his Father in heaven for himself. He did walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You think of his Passion Week. He's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And now he dwells in the house of God forever. But there's another sense in which this psalm applies to Jesus as well. On the other hand, Jesus is also God the Son. He himself is the good shepherd. He provides, he restores, he guides, he protects for his sheep. In fact, that's exactly what we've heard this morning in our call to worship text from John 10. Jesus called himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. So yes, the psalm is about David, but in its ultimate sense, this psalm is about Jesus This psalm gives us a picture of the role that the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, fills in the lives of his sheep. That's us. This psalm applies to David, it applies to Jesus before it ever means anything to us. So the Lord leads, the Lord guides, the Lord cares for us for his name's sake. He doesn't guide me, he doesn't protect me because I'm a cute sheep. There's nothing in me that causes God to think highly of me, to Select me as his sheep. 
He does it for his own name's sake, for his own good pleasure. The Lord's guidance in the lives of his people is really just a demonstration of his glory and of his goodness, of his providence, of his faithfulness. The true encouragement that it can be found in this psalm really only settles home when I stop to think about the action of God in my life and the role that he plays as my Lord. Have you stopped recently to consider the Lord's actions in your life? This is a good time of year to do it as the year ends. As you look back over the past year, how has he guided you? Do you regularly think of the Lord as being your good shepherd, your good shepherd? Does he restore your soul? Have you been walking in his paths of righteousness? It's important to note that the comfort that David displayed was really only possible because the Lord was his shepherd. David was devoted to the Lord, and the Lord was devoted to David. There was a covenantal relationship between David and the Lord. So I want to say this carefully, and I want to say it kindly. But if Jesus is not your shepherd, this psalm has no true meaning for you. It might look cool tattooed on your arm, but unless you know the shepherd and the shepherd knows you, it's just a collection of fine-sounding words. This psalm can't be offered as a healing balm to, just to, to anybody because the guidance, the protection, the hospitality that are described here in this psalm all happen within the context of a devoted covenant relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. The guidance that David gets from the Lord is based on his lordship in his life. So, friend... Is Jesus your shepherd? Is he your Lord? The Lord's guidance brought great security and comfort to David and made him feel protected. Let's keep reading in verse 4 where we see the shepherd's protection. Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David was chosen by the Lord. He was anointed as king over Israel, as we've heard in this sermon series over the fall. But we know that Israel already had a king. Israel had a king named Saul. And Saul was the most powerful man in the nation, and he did not want David to keep his throne. And so Saul would chase after David consistently, trying to murder and kill David. And as we're going to find out later this year, as we get into the second half of David's life in 2 Samuel, we'll find out that even his own son tried to chase him down and kill him. So the paths that David walked through the valley of the shadow of death were well-worn. He knew well the valley of the shadow of death. But despite all the danger that was around him, David found peace with God, peace in God. Hopefully you've noticed this. There's a very comforting emotional tone that comes to us in this psalm. And again, that comforting emotional tone that David got found itself because he was in the Lord. He trusted in the Lord's protection and guidance in his life. Notice the way that the Lord protects David. Uh, he uses a rod and a staff, is what it says in the verse. I am not a shepherd, 
And so I never really understood the difference between a rod and a staff. My assumption was that they served the same function in some way, that they were sort of interchangeable. But there's a difference between a rod and a staff. David would have known this, being a shepherd. A rod was used by shepherds to protect sheep from predators. Uh, In fact, David, just before he did battle with Goliath, told a story about how he used a rod when he was protecting his father's sheep. He said that when there were When he was keeping sheep and there was a lion or a bear that took a lamb out of his flock, he went after him and he struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against him, he caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. David struck down both lions and bears in defense of his sheep. And he would have done that with a rod. So the rod protects us from others. A staff was used by a shepherd as as a corrective tool for wandering sheep. So the staff is the one that's got that gradual hook at the end, shaped perfectly to go around the sheep's neck when they're wandering off the path. So if a lamb is wandering off into danger or sort of carelessly walking next to a cliff, he would have put the crook of the staff around the neck of the sheep and pulled him back into the flock, back into safety. It's the same sort of thing that I really needed for my kids at the Grand Canyon this summer. So the staff protects us from ourselves. The comfort that David so enjoys is a result of the Lord's protective and corrective authority in his life. The rod protects us from others. The staff protects us from ourselves. The rod protects us from others and the staff protects us from ourselves. The comfort, the guidance, the protection that the Lord provided come from his authority in our lives. Have you ever thought about comfort coming from a rod or coming from a staff, both a protective and corrective guidance from God? David found freedom from the oppression of his own anxiety and fear about death and his danger by relying on the providential guidance and goodness of his Lord. Sometimes we can wonder what God has done in our lives. Where have you gone, God? We can be tempted to turn bitter towards him for not protecting us, leaving us vulnerable in the wilderness. But in those times, it might be the case that we have been trying to slip out from underneath his staff as he keeps us from wandering out into the wild. Friends, it's counterproductive to cry out for the comfort of God and then buck against his guidance with the next breath. Perhaps you know someone who claims to be a sheep but doesn't want to run with the rest of the flock, doesn't like organized religion. Maybe they describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. They don't want to be tied down with obligations and expectations. They want their own freedom. This is important. Being a member of Jesus' flock, resting under his protective and corrective guidance in our lives is a gift that brings comfort and life. Even when we're not sure how, we trust the good shepherd. David knew that you can't claim your own freedom, your own self-defined authority, and expect God's protecting authority at the same time. It's not the way it works. The English novelist Orson Welles understood this, I think. He said this, The more people chant about their freedom and how free they are, the more loudly I hear their chains rattling. David knew 
that security is found in submitting to God's loving guidance and protection. The two are inseparably linked together. When we submit to his loving authority, we free ourselves from ourselves and from the slavery of others. David had a deep familiarity with the anxiety that comes with the fear of death, but he knew, despite how disastrous his circumstances looked at any given time, that God was guiding him and protecting him through it. Not just through it, but actually to a destination, to the very presence of God forever. Let's keep reading in verses 5 and 6, where we see third, the shepherd's hospitality. Verses 5 and 6 say this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the scene of this poem, this psalm, has shifted now from a flock of sheep to a banquet. The Lord now has prepared a feast for David in the presence of his enemies. So you can picture a large table set up on a hill with a huge feast set out upon it. And surrounding him, powerless to do anything, are his enemies. They look on in hatred and in jealousy as the Lord deals bountifully with him. The oil and the overflowing cup there give an image of an extravagant, warm, generous, satisfying meal. The Lord himself provides all of these things for David, ultimately bringing him into his home forever. So the shepherd has guided his sheep. The shepherd has protected his sheep. Now the shepherd is showing an ultimate act of hospitality to his sheep. David was confident that though he would walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a progression in this psalm if you track along with it. It starts resting by still waters. It goes through the valley of the shadow of death to a banquet table into the house of the Lord. David ultimately doesn't need to fear his enemies. He doesn't need to fear death. What about you? Do you fear? If you belong to the Lord, you need not fear. Jesus is the good shepherd who knows his sheep, and his own sheep know him. He came in the flesh to defeat death for us. The good shepherd, the great I am, Jesus Christ, entered into creation and defeated death on our behalf. He laid down his life for the sheep, and then he took up his life again. And his resurrection is a foreshadowing of the resurrection of all of his sheep in the last day when we will dwell in the house of God forever and feast in the house of Zion. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light, and we shall ere his people be. All glory be to Christ. A new year is settling upon us, and when we look at a calendar for the next 12 months, we might see a few things, some events that we've jotted down on that calendar, but there are 366 days next year, each with its own mysteries, its own surprises. What will this new year hold? Will your family move for a new job? Will there be 
some victory over a troubling sin? Will there be trials and temptations? Maybe you'll find your new best friend. Does the year hold great joy? Does the year hold great sorrow? Perhaps some of each. If we trust in the goodness of our good, devoted shepherd, we will trust in his providence. Providence is the confession that God preserves and governs all things. God preserves and governs all things. He leads us to our final goal, which is to be with him forever. The Christian looks to the future not with fear, but with faith. The Christian looks to the future not with indifference, but with anticipation. The Christian looks to the future not with as a fatalist, but as those who trust in the power and the goodness of God, come what may. We recognize that the enemies, the dangers that surround us are not beyond God's sovereign power. We had a funeral here yesterday, as Jim mentioned earlier, for Frankie Brown, a member of Trinity for 35 years, wife to Emory for 65 years. And as we looked back on the life of Frankie, the walk that she had with the Lord, and her testimonies of her love for Jesus and foreign missions, it was a time of sadness and grieving, but it was also a time of real encouragement, a life well lived, a woman who lived life to its fullest and who walked through the valley of the shadow of death and is now dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. She trusted her shepherd. It is encouraging to see the way that Emery is trusting in the shepherd as well. And as a pastor here, an under-shepherd, if you will, it brings comfort knowing that a member of the church has lived and died in faith, belonging to our good chief shepherd. You should know that all the elders here, who are all pastors, all eight of us, serve at the pleasure of Jesus. He is our chief shepherd. We understand that our job is to embody the rod and the staff of Christ, to help his sheep reach safely home. You should know that our goal is not ultimately just to get you to come to church. It's not to get you to read your Bible. It's not just to trick you into praying. It's not to get you to serve or get involved in programs. It's for you to belong to Jesus, for him to be your shepherd. Our goal is to see you brought safely home to dwell in the house of God to benefit from the shepherd's hospitality forever. I get why Psalm 23 is so popular, even for non-Christians. But friends, for those who know the good shepherd, those who understand and know the Lord, meditating on Psalm 23 should bring untouchable comfort in times of anxiety. Because it goes way beyond just being beautiful, poetic language about what we hope might happen, because we know the guidance of the shepherd. We know the protection of the shepherd. And we have experienced the hospitality of our good shepherd. When we think of the Lord's hospitality and of his table and the meal that he provides there, we might be reminded of another table. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus sat down with his disciples around a table and shared a meal of bread and of wine. The bread represented his body, which would be broken 
for them and for us. The wine represented his cup of the new covenant, which represented his blood that would be poured out for them and for us. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep who gave his blood to seal the new and eternal covenant. And communion, what we're about to practice together, is a sign of that new covenant. It's meant to be celebrated by those who are in devoted covenant relationship with Jesus. So I want to invite our volunteers down now to help distribute the elements, musicians as well, if you would take your places. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has prepared his table for us this morning. It is a heavenly meal, and it is our prayer this morning that as we drink, as we eat, the Lord will nourish us with his grace, and he will restore our souls. For all who love and trust in Jesus alone for their salvation, for all who are truly sorry for their sins, who sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, who desire to live in obedience to his authority, and have been baptized as members in good standing of a church in which Jesus Christ is preached as Lord and Savior, you are warmly invited to join with us in this meal that the Lord has set for us this morning.